Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor. And the NBA season is underway, you could say. I mean, media days have been taking place, and training camps are underway. And, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on in a lot of teams. Uh, but here in Cleveland, again, the Cavaliers hosted their media day on Monday, which just so also happened to be the same day that the uh, Cleveland Indians played their last game here in Cleveland. Um, they are still the Cleveland Indians for three more weekend games. And obviously, there was also the day after the Browns um, beat the Houston Texans. So a lot going on. But Chris, you were at media day. How was it? Give us your general sense of things that, were, you know, that, that you saw and then, you know, that you've seen throughout this week of uh, the first week of the NBA season. Yeah, so I think the first thing is it was just great back to be in person. Um, 100%. I mean, it was awesome to interact with the guys. It's funny because um, I've been talking with Jared Allen in a variety of different ways since he came to the Cavs in January. But I had never actually met him in person. The only time that we met was over Zoom, right? That's the first time that we were introduced with each other. So I actually saw him in person at media day for the first time and he jokingly introduced himself to me like we hadn't known each other like we hadn't spent however many days interacting with each other on zoom or in other ways so it was really really cool to get to um to get to interact with the guys in person again and get to meet some of the new guys as well i just feel like you lose so much while all these NBA teams did the best that they could throughout a pandemic, and it was really, really difficult on everybody in terms of coverage. You just lose a sense of humanity and interaction um, by not being there in person and talking to these guys and being able to form and foster those kinds of relationships. So I'm really, really excited about the potential to do that once again. Um, I think the coverage is going to be enhanced by my ability to do that once again. So first and foremost, media day, being there in person, awesome. Second thing, Hayden, that really stood out to me, and look, I understand what time of year it is. This is training camp. This is the time where everybody's really excited about the team that they have. Everybody's speaking with optimism. So I get that. This isn't my first rodeo here. I've been covering the team since 2014. But in saying that, it feels like there's a different vibe around this team. Okay. Look at what is the vibe. The vibe around this team is bleep everybody who thinks we're going to suck. We're going to surprise you. That's okay. the vibe that I get around this team. In fact, okay. the first thing, the first thing that Jared Allen said to me when I came over to talk to him on Media Day when he was waiting to go up to the podium. Him and I had about five minutes just to talk um, beyond talking about the baby that's due in December for me and my wife. It was we're going to be better than people think. Just watch. This is a talented team. This is a good team. This is a hungry team. We're all bought in. We all want to win. We've all checked our egos at the door. We've got a different offense. We've got a different defense. We've made some additions this offseason that are really, really going to help us. Just watch. We're going to surprise people. That's the vibe that I have around this team right now. Wow. Some some big declarations from Jared Allen. I like it. I, like I mean, it. he's not saying, like, we're going to win the championship or anything along those lines. 
No, but I mean to say that you know the entire team has put the, put their egos at the door and that you yep. know they're fighting together and that you know they all want the, the same thing. I mean, you hear that a lot. So um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Exactly, you got to prove it. Um, but I I hear you, and I, I was upset. I was sad I couldn't be there. But um, you know, I totally I, I appreciate the fact that you know, as you said things are back in person and you know it's a totally different vibe and i'm sure like last year you know it was a lot more difficult to, to get the vibe of a team so i'm sure that you probably picked on you're going to probably pick up on things a little more different a little better maybe you know now that you've yeah. had a we've had a year away of kind of not being around so i totally um get where you're coming from in that regard um any other takeaways like from from media day and in, in the first couple of days of practice here i mean we're, we're going to get into some stuff um but just you know generally yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that stood out to me was what J.B. Bickerstaff said in terms of modernizing the offense. Now, I think that's ambiguous, and I'm trying my best to report further on that to see exactly what that is going to entail. But it's clear that the Cavs, number one, they looked at the personnel last year and they decided to make some changes. But number two... They looked at the way that they played stylistically and determined in this day and age, with the way that things are going, what they did wasn't good enough. What they did needed to be changed. Now, they also had to have the pieces that they could go out and they could execute those kinds of changes. But at least there was a recognition by the coaching staff after doing some analytical studies and doing some film breakdowns that it was time to change their approach, especially on the offensive end. Because the word that I kept hearing, Hayden, um, throughout the last year and a half, when when outsiders would describe the Cavs' offense, the word that I kept hearing was archaic. And, and I think that's probably accurate. You know, they didn't take enough threes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They didn't take anything close to enough threes. Um, at times they would just throw the ball in the post to Andre Drummond and say, go to work, right? At times they would throw the ball in uh, Andre Drummond in the post and then he would decide not to be in the post and he would face up or he would step back um, and then dribble drive and attack the rim that way. So the fact that they've recognized the need um, to make changes offensively, I think that is a positive moving forward. And I do think to that point, um, the addition of Ricky Rubio, the addition of Lowry Markinen, the internal growth expected of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, it's going to make those changes more possible. I love the transition. I love the transition because you nailed it. So what we're going to do during this podcast today is we're going to kind of do kind of a, a Hey Chris, which is obviously Chris Fedor as uh, he will answer questions that are sent to him via subtext and another great transition. Perfect time to tell you to sign up for Chris's subtext. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. When you sign up, go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Press the blue banner at the top of the page and enter your phone number and you'll be pretty much good to go. So just follow instructions. It's very, very easy to do. So again, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page and you will get to um, Chris's subtext. All kinds of Cavs insight analysis, what he's hearing before it goes anywhere else from or before it goes to Twitter, before it goes to Facebook, Instagram, whatever. All it will go straight to your phone. So again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial for Chris's subtext. Um, Subtexters can also text Chris text him back and ask questions and that is exactly what we're going to do today we are going to do an audio version of uh, the hey chris so 
first question that I have here in front of me, which mm. is exactly what you mentioned uh, about the modern offense, is running a modern NBA, NBA offense the right op- offense for this team? Shouldn't the system match the players and not vice versa? The Bucs just won the title by pounding the ball into the paint and playing great defense, not by playing like Loyola Marymount. So... <laughs> Is running a modern offense versus uh, is running a modern NBA offense the right offense for the Cavaliers? Look, I mean, I think there are different variations to the way that you're going to attack offensively. But to that texter's point, okay, so Milwaukee played to Milwaukee's strengths. They have Giannis. You want Giannis near the basket. You want Giannis attacking the rim. And then, of course, you can drive and kick and you can spray it out to the three-point shooters. They've taken Brooke Lopez and they've turned him into a space-the-floor big man because that's the modern game. It's five out. Um, Chris Middleton can make threes. Pat Connaughton can make threes. Bryn Forbes can make threes. Um, Drew Holiday can make threes. So, yeah, they they did have an inside pound-the-paint game but they also had the three-point shooting to complement that. So I think what it is, Hayden, is you take a look at your personnel and you try and um, implement a style that you think, one, is going to work in today's NBA, and two, is going to work with the personnel that you have. Like, why would the Cavs live in the paint right now? Right. Obviously, you're going to have Colin Sexton attacking the rim, and that's good. Driving kicks are good. Drives and scores are good. Uh, Darius Garland, he can get into the paint as well. He can make some things happen. Ricky Rubio can do that. Isaac Okoro can do that. But there is nobody that you're saying, like, that guy is going to dominate the paint for 48 minutes on a nightly basis, the way that Giannis does for the Bucks, or the way that, you know, Joel Embiid can for the Philadelphia 76 The Cavs don't have that kind of guy. No. No, I think it's a combination of both. You got to play. Yes, you want to shoot more threes. Obviously, you want to make bring your offense into the cent in the twenty first century. But right, uh, but you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to do things that don't complement your players. I think it's a good combination of both. I think that's and look. I mean, shooting threes doesn't mean Jared Allen jacking six a night. Right. Right. It still has to be a smart offense. It still has to be. You know, you want your better three-point shooters taking six to eight a night while the other guys are much lower than that based on their skill set. Um, but at least there's going to be more of a willingness, I think, to shoot those shots, and there's going to be more of a three-point threat because of Markinen. I think Markinen's a huge piece of this whole thing. And if Kevin Love can stay healthy and he gets however many minutes he's going to get, you know, he's going to take threes. He's going to space the floor. He's going to be a threat out there. Dylan Windler, if he can stay healthy, he brings that dimension as well. And Evan Mobley, while you don't want him launching, you know, four to five threes a night, it's clear, Hayden, that he's still most comfortable playing out on the perimeter. Now, again, that doesn't mean just jacking threes. Playing out on the perimeter means put the ball on the deck, initiate for yourself, initiate for teammates, uh, take your guy off the dribble if you want to. But if if you're going to sit there and, and put Mobley in the post against some of these bigger, stronger power forward slash centers, then your offense is not going to function very well. Right. 
It only makes sense. And another great transition. We have a question here. Kevin Love seemed pretty edgy at media day. Do you read that as a positive chip on his shoulder to shut folks up and make himself tradable again, or even more of a sign that he's quietly pleading to get out and putting on a show publicly? Okay, so I have a couple of theories about this, and I was talking to a few different people about this following media day, because obviously I noticed the same thing. It was, it was clear that um, Kevin was very similar, I would say, to the 2014 version of Kevin Love. Remember that, Hayden, where he would stare down at the ground, he wouldn't look at the camera, and he was more surly and unsure of himself, and he didn't really know anybody. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it has to do with the fact that the night before media day, the Cavs had a team dinner, and the main message that was delivered beyond the fact that we want to take steps forward and we want to compete for at least a play-in spot, whether it's realistic or not, that's what we want. The other message that was delivered was one of accountability. Mm -hmm. It's time for these guys to hold each other accountable. It's time for these guys to demand more of each other. It's time that wins start to matter again. Um, and I think there was a concerted effort on Kevin's part being one of the veterans, 33 years old, 14 years in the NBA now, um, still looked at by some teammates as one of the leaders and one of the voices on this team and a respected player on this team. I think there was a concerted effort to present that kind of tone and that kind of message. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, I think it would have been a really bad look for Kevin, given everything that he has gone through over the last two, two and a half years. Um, the injuries, the temper tantrums, the lack of reliability, the diminished production, all that kind of stuff. I think it would have been a really bad look for him to go out there media day, start cracking jokes, smiling, having a good time, and coming across as if, he wasn't taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. That's one theory that I have. Okay. Another theory that I have is that he's just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he doesn't want to be here. That's very clear. And he doesn't have anybody anymore. Like the guy that he was closest to on this roster after the departure of Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson and that wave of player... The closest guy he had was Larry Nance Jr. Yep. And Larry's gone. So yeah. my other theory is that he's just not happy, and he's probably not going to be happy. On top of that, there's probably going to be a significant role change for Kevin that he's going to have to deal with. I think he understands that. Um, my sources say that there have been general conversations about the general situation at power forward center between Kevin and J.B. Bickerstaff. But there hasn't been the specific conversation about, Kevin, this is your role. Kevin, this is how many minutes you should expect. Kevin, you're coming off the bench or you're starting, whatever the case may be. Like training camp is going to determine that. Preseason is going to determine that as well. And then I think the deeper... Um, 
more detailed conversation is going to come between Kevin and JV Vickerstaff and other members of the organization. So when when you're somebody like him, Hayden, and you're 33 and you're 14 years in, and you know that you're walking into this situation where your role is not going to be the same, your responsibilities aren't going to be the same, you're probably not going to be as happy. There's a human element attached to this. So which theory do you think is more plausible? Like, I think there's some truth to all of these things, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how the pie is split up in this case, but those are all different things that I thought of on media day. And those are all different things that I heard as well. All right. I guess we'll find out as we go forward with Kevin Love. Next question, not about Kevin Love. Uh, given the relatively weak free agent class next year, hmm, um, and the fact that Colin Sexton could be one of the better available guards, do you think that adds pressure to the Cavs to get extension with Sexton done before this season starts? I don't, just because restricted free agency has been put in place um, to protect teams. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives the Cavs not only protection, but I think it gives them leverage. And um, I think Collins camp can say whatever it is that they want to say and feel whatever it is they want to feel. But the truth is restricted free agency is a tricky game and it's a difficult game. And oftentimes restricted free agents, unless they are the best of the best, they get overlooked because it's a pain in the ass for an opposing team to get one of these guys Mm -hmm. because you have to give them big time money and then you have to give up assets as well. So I think it's protection for the Cavs. And here's the other thing. Um, And the Cavs are very aware of this. In fact, they can rattle off the teams with cap space quickly. If you look at the 2022 free agency class uh no it's not great and on top of that teams do not have money they don't have money i think there are six teams that that really could have a pathway to significant cap space orlando oklahoma city uh memphis could in a world that they don't bring back jaron jackson jr Washington could in a world where they no longer have Bradley Beal. San Antonio is another one. And I forget the the sixth. Um, but that's not a lot of teams. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, like which one of those teams is lining up to give Colin Sexton 28 to $32 million a year in restricted free agency and maybe an asset as well for the Cavs to not match the offer, whatever that offer may be. So you think this is something that could take, I mean, you know, I, you wrote, and obviously they're, they're at media day, said there's significant interest between the Cavs and keeping Colin here long-term. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think it's more likely to come after the season, during the season, you know, or, you know, do you think they just want to see this thing play out and, and try to go from there? like for the rest of this year? I don't think the Cavs are in any rush to do anything. I think they feel good about the protections that they will have in 2022. I think they feel good about Colin and the person that he is, that if something doesn't get done in terms of an extension, 
it's not going to um, put a damper on the relationship that he has with his teammates. It's not going to affect the relationship that he has with the organization. And it's not a slap in the face to Colin. In no way would it be, we don't like Colin the player. We don't like Colin the person. Right. There's a business here. And I think Colin understands that. I think Colin's people understand that as well. And the Cavs have to be really, really careful about the kinds of money that they're going to give any player. They have to attach a monetary value to a player. And that can be very, very difficult. Um, so because of that, if if there's a deal out there to be had where, you know, the Cavs are comfortable and Colin is comfortable, then I think they would do it. I think yeah. they would get it done before the season starts. But if if Colin and his camp are dead set on getting a maximum level rookie extension similar to uh, Trey Young and Michael Porter Jr. and Luka Doncic, then I think I think it's more likely that the Cavs are patient, they don't get an extension done, and they take it into next offseason. That would make sense. That would make complete sense. But the uh, Cavs are not in any hurry. And here's the thing. Like, there are certain players where when you talk about the rookie level max, Hayden, mm-hmm. it's just a no-brainer. Right. It, I, I get the sense, my belief, first of all, is that when it comes to Colin, it's not a no-brainer. It's mm-hmm. absolutely not a no-brainer, despite the things that he has accomplished in his first three years in the NBA, which are very admirable, and I don't think you can overlook. It's still not a no-brainer, because he's an undersized shooting guard who has problems defensively. So there's a limitation, I think, to his ceiling because of those things. Right. Um. And I think the Cavs view it the same kind of way. That, yes, they like him. Yes, he's done everything and more that they've asked. But this isn't a no-brainer decision. So it's maybe like, yes, we want Colin here long-term, but at the right price. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of rookies and young kids for this Cavaliers team, the next question uh, why is everyone saying Evan Mobley will start right away? His play in summer league against far lesser talent was in soup, was not super impressive. Wouldn't it be better to bring him along with the second unit initially? So, okay, who starts instead of him? Right. Larry's gone. Larry's Kevin? gone. Oh, don't. Don't. Yeah. Don't. I'd find that one hard. Right. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'd find that one hard. And then marking in. Right. Marking in maybe. It's just like so many people get caught up in starter versus bench. And I get it. But these guys are going to be mixed and matched. And I think the most important thing is finding the best five-man combination and the best two-man combination and the best three-man combination, things like that. So if we're talking about the starting lineup in general, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton. That backcourt, Hayden, is problematic from a defensive end. There are limitations. We know that. Darius tries really, really hard. He believes that he's going to be a better defender. He has worked on becoming a better defender. But there are limitations that he's going to run into. 
especially mm. if he's going to be paired up with Colin Sexton. So immediately that makes you say, all right, you have two defensive liabilities already. If you're going to function defensively, like you can't have three defensive liabilities at the same time. It's going to be really, really hard to get by that way. Like, yeah, Jared Allen can protect those guys to some degree. And Isaac Okoro can protect those guys to some degree. But if you have to cover up for three guys, man, that becomes really, really difficult. So I look at it, and this is just me looking at it. I look at it and say, okay, well, of the options at power forward, like which one of those guys would be the best fit in that particular starting group? And I think because of the defense that Evan Mobley can bring to the table, I think he makes more sense in that particular group. I would totally agree. I would totally agree. I mean, I don't think there's any sense in, you know, I think you kind of can play Evan Mobley and give him, you know, the opportunity to play around alongside Jared Allen and good defenders and and, uh, Isaac Okoro and, you know, just let him play, let him get experience. I mean, I think at this point, I think, you know, if he's going to be the guy, if he's a guy you really, really, really want this team to be um, maybe not anchored around, but he's going to be obviously a huge piece, then play him. I mean, my goodness, you know. Right. I think there's another thing here, too, in play. And I wrote about this for today. Like, the Cavs are really cognizant of giving too much too early to Evan and putting too much on him. You know, if he plays in that projected starting lineup, the offense in that case can run through Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, and that's really, really good. Right. The defense can then be anchored by Jared Allen and maybe even Isaac Okoro. That's really good, too. So you're not asking him... In that kind of setup, you wouldn't be asking Evan Mobley to do too much on offense because of Darius and Colin, and you probably wouldn't be asking him to do too much on defense because he's playing next to Allen and he's playing next to Coro. And I think that helps lift some of that pressure, some of those expectations, and some of that burden off of Mobley. Whereas if, if he's part of that second unit, then I think suddenly that's a case where you're asking him to do more. That makes sense. Makes complete sense. So I, I also like the idea, Hayden. This is just me personally. I like the idea of Darius and Evan getting some chemistry together in terms of pick and roll, pick and pop. I think that can be very, very good. Um, and I like the idea of Ricky Rubio either playing with Kevin Love or Lowry Markinen and what the offense can look like there in those kinds of minutes. Agreed. I think it just makes so much sense for Evan to start to get comfortable, to get experience. It just it makes it's too it's too sensical not to do it. You know, I just and it doesn't mean he has to play a ton of minutes. But I think if you're going to start that unit, you know, you're right. Get him around Darius Garland, get him get him around Colin Sexton, get him around Jared Allen, get him around Okoro, you know, get him around those guys that are going to be there. So I completely, completely agree. All right. This question is going to be the final question we have today. Um, but a very important one. I don't know, again, um, depending on what your views are, not yours, Chris, but I'm just saying in general. Um, What is the vaccination status of the team? How many still need to be vaccinated? Disappointed that the Cavs do not require proof of vaccination from fans. Well, so I don't know 
exactly who is vaccinated and who's not vaccinated. I don't have that specific information. I don't know the exact percentage. All I know is that based on what Kobe Altman said uh, during media day and based on uh, people that I have talked to in the days after that, they believe that they're going to be 100% within a few weeks. And to me, that's the most important thing rather than singling out whoever it is that still needs to finish their vaccination thing. Right. As long as the Cavs get to 100% as a team and they don't have the same regulations as the Golden State Warriors and the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks and, and some of those other teams, then to me, that's the thing that matters most. Right. Um, the whole thing about the fans, like I understand that frustration I'm somewhat surprised that the Cavs are not requiring fans to be fully vaxxed to show proof of it or to show a negative test before getting in there. But to my understanding, they're taking a lot of their cues, not just from the NBA, um, but from the state as well. Right. And yeah, I mean, when you look at when you look at the Indians, and you look at the, I know that the Indians and the Browns are outside, but right. it's kind of hard to 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 do that for oh hey cleveland can have the browns and the indians unvaccinated but or you can get in unvaccinated or without proof and then uh the Cavs is different i mean i understand why like i said it is an indoor venue but um you know i totally understand I, and it I understand. could like it could change a lot of yeah. the thing that we have learned i think in the last year and a half is that um this this thing could change in the snap of a finger and it's very very hard to predict um what what things are going to look like two months from now three months from now right right tomorrow <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, that's that's right right tomorrow even next week you're right about that so i mean it could get to a point where the calves all of a sudden reverse course and say you have to be vaccinated, you have to show proof of that to get in, or you have to register a negative test or two negative tests or whatever the case may be. Um, but they also feel really, really good, Hayden, about the enhancements that they made to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and the money that they've pumped into that place um, and all of the systems that they've put into place to try and make it as safe as possible for anybody that wants to go in there, safe and friendly as possible for anybody that wants to go in there. Well, good. I think we can all agree that, you know, we want the season to go off very safely and with as few COVID um, cases as possible, you know, hopefully none. So, again, I, I, I get it from all accounts and all sides. It's just it's a difficult thing. And, um, you know, I'm just glad you didn't have to cover any uh, big bad or not bad, but some any big statements about the vax here and the vax there. And I know the NBA is kind of undergone quite a bit of scrutiny for some of the things that have been said over media days so mm -hmm. um good thing the cavaliers i guess stayed away from that a little bit <laughs> for your sake i suppose <laughs> yeah i've got uh, enough on my plate when it comes to covering this team. <laughs> oh, i know you don't need that as well right well we both had long days and um, we're going to keep this one short for you guys so thank you so much to chris for joining and answering your questions again the way to get Chris your questions for Hey Chris is to sign up for a subtext account, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. 
press the blue banner at the top of the page, and from there you enter your phone number and you will get all kinds of news, analysis, insights from Chris straight to your phone. Again, you can text them and uh, send them your Hey Chris questions. So again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to go is all you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash calves and click the blue banner at the top of the page. Chris, uh, I will talk to you shortly or soon, but um, in the meantime, have a great weekend and uh, we will continue to read your coverage on cleveland.com. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Wanting gold scrimmage Saturday afternoon. Looking forward to it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We're there already. It's crazy. We're there already. It's crazy. There's too much going on. Yeah. You know, I don't know which way is up. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Have a great weekend.